Turn your Bible to Obadiah. <clears throat> now, I like this little book of Obadiah. One of the shortest books in the Bible. There are only 21 verses. This along with 2nd and 3rd John. Sort of rank as, and Philemon rank as the shortest books in the Bible. But Obadiah is filled with tremendous truth. Let me just give you this brief historic background that most of you know because we preached on Obadiah before and I'm sure you've read it. Now, Obadiah is a little bit like Zephaniah. It's an obscure book in the Old Testament. And unless you're reading the, book, the Bible through, or unless you are studying it like we do on Sunday nights many times or in Sunday school, you, you don't even read this book. I'd say many, many Christians go through a lifetime and never read the book of Obadiah, never read the book of Zephaniah, and so on. These Old Testament minor prophets are not minor in their message. They're only minor in their volume. Remember that Jerusalem had fallen. Zephaniah preached that the day of the Lord would come. He spoke of the day of the Lord as the time when God would bring judgment on Judah because of her sins and on Israel. Well, in 722 BC, the day of the Lord came upon Israel and the Assyrians came and carried into captivity the ten northern tribes, and we never heard of them again. It could be that today when Jews are coming from China and Japan and Ethiopia and all around the world back to Palestine, back to the little nation of Israel, they were seeing a return of some of those ten tribes, but we don't know that for sure. Then Jeremiah preached hard to Judea and to J Jerusalem. And so did Zephaniah and some other prophets. They warned that the day of the Lord would come. Now, 40 years after Zephaniah, the day of the Lord came for Jerusalem. The Babylonian hordes came and surrounded the city. The walls were burned. The temple was burned. Some of the choice people were led into captivity, among them Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's another story. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, walked through the city of Jerusalem and he said, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? This holy city, once the prince and power of the air, of the earth, and now it's in ruins. Is it nothing to you? Well, sometime later, Obadiah preaches. And Obadiah reminds the enemies of Israel that they cannot get by with sin. What you do is a boomerang. It comes back at you. The Edomites, who were the cousins of the Jews, lived in the land of Edom, down about south of the Dead Sea. <clears throat> they were the descendants of Esau. The Jews were the descendants of Jacob. And the Jacobites and the Esauites, the Edomites, never did like each other. And so when Babylon came to surround the city of Jerusalem, the Edomites helped them. 
Well, they were related to the Jews. They were their bloodline. And they didn't like them. And so when the Babylonians came in, the Edomites stood over there and laughed. And when some of the Jews tried to escape, the Edomites caught them and turned them over to the Babylonians. Well, God remembered this. Remember, God always remembers. He has a better memory than most of us. We need to remember that in our day today. But God said, Obadiah, you write an indictment. And one of the famous messages of this little book is found in verse 11. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. But thou shouldst not have looked to the, on, on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. As a result, God through Obadiah pronounces a doom on the Edomites. Now it took some time for God to carry his message out. Remember that God doesn't get in a hurry. The year is about 550 B.C. 585 is when Jerusalem was destroyed. It's some years later now. And God says, Edom, you're going to pay for this. Years and years later, when Jesus was born, the last of the Edomites was Herod. He was sitting on the throne as the king of the Jews, a puppet king placed there by Caesar of Rome. When Herod and the next Herod died, the Herod that declared himself a king and gave that great oration, some of you have been to this place in the great arena down at Caesarea, some of you stood there, that's where Herod gave this great oration and claimed to be God and he gave no glory to God the Bible says God smote him and the worms came and ate him. And in the burning hell, he is pictured as one of the illustrations of what hell is going to be like. That was the last of the Edomites. God carried his message out. But there's another message in, in Obadiah, and I want you to notice it. Brother Eric read it a little while ago, beginning in verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. Some of you here tonight have been to Petra. Petra is that, wall, that rock city down in the Eastern, uh, the Eastern, on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. And Petra was the capital of the Edomites. For years and years and years, when you'd read about Petra in the Bible or the Edomites, they, the skeptics said there was no such thing as that. That's a figment of their imagination. And then the archaeologists went in and they found this tremendous rock city called Petra. And they didn't know what to think. They rubbed their eyes. They scratched their head. If they just believed the Bible, they'd have found it years before. Well, 
Petra has been a disgraced and defamed city. It was the capital of the Edomites. And God said, just like you did, it's going to be returned to you. Just like you stood on the other side and you did not help your cousins or your, your relatives, the Jews, and you stood against them, it will be the same thing will be, um, will be happening to you. So the, the message tonight is based on that passage of Scripture. Things come back to haunt us in life. Be sure your sin will find you out. There's another hopeful verse in Ecclesiastes. Cast your bread upon the waters and it will return after many days. Now for the optimist, you might say, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return after many days buttered. And that sometimes happens. You do good and good will come back to you. You do evil and evil will come back to you. Jesus warned us of that when he gave us the golden rule. He said, do unto others as you would that they would do to you. If you want somebody to squeeze you down under their thumb, you squeeze them under your thumb. It'll come back to you. You want somebody to hurt you, you hurt them. It'll come back to you. That's what he's saying. He's saying to the Edomites, just as you have done it to others, it's coming back to you. Which leads us to four laws that I want us to look at tonight based on that passage of Scripture. Very briefly. First of all, turn your Bible to Matthew 1.1. The law of judgment and judging. Look at Matthew chapter, one, chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the, no, the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now what he's saying here is not that we cannot look at actions of others. You see somebody go out and get drunk, you know that's wrong. If it's a Christian, you need to correct them. Talk with them. You see somebody getting into sin? Go talk with them. Help them. But don't be as though you were a holy Joel. Or you're a lot better than they are. You would never think to sin. And here they are down in the scum of sin. Be careful. Be sure your sin will find you out. But he says, judge not that ye be not judged. He's talking here not about actions He's talking about motives. Have you ever heard of people judging other people's motives? And saying, well, he's just doing that. He just stands up there and sings so everybody can see him. He just does that so everybody will see him. Brother, that's judging. And this scripture says, judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, it shall, you shall be judged. And he says, why do you look at somebody who has a little splinter in their eye and you've got a fence post in your own eye. The law of judging comes back to haunt us. You and I dare not judge somebody's motives. We can observe their actions. We can deal with their actions. We cannot deal with their motives. Remember, it will boomerang. It will come back to haunt you. Now, the second law we want to look at 
is the law of forgiveness and being forgiven. Look in Matthew 18, 21. Matthew 18, 21. Notice this. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but seventy times seven. In other words, you don't keep account of it. You just keep on forgiving them. Then look at Matthew 6. Back to Matthew 6. The prayer that we often call the Lord's Prayer, it really is the model prayer. They came and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus said, here's how you to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Then he adds a P.S. Verse 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let's go back to Esau and Jacob. Jacob hurt Esau. He stole his birthright. He stole his blessing. Esau hated Jacob. And Jacob was a wretch to do all the mean, honorary things he did to Esau. He was called the supplanter, the deceiver. And yet, he had an experience with a ladder stretching to heaven. And he had a wrestling match with the angel of God. And he became a prince in prayer. This is Jacob, the old supplanter, the old mean guy that cheated his brother. And God changed Jacob's heart. As a testimony of that, he said, Now, Lord, if you'll be my God and you'll bring me safe home, I will give you a tenth of all that, I, that comes to me. And you can tell in Jacob's later life there was a change, but the boomerang came. Jacob had 12 sons. He loved them all. His second to the youngest son was named Joseph. He sent Joseph out to tend the to see about his brothers and see how they were doing. And when his brothers saw him, they hated him. And they took Joseph and cast him into a pit. And we're going to kill him. One of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. And the band of Midianites came on their way to Egypt. They sold their brother into slavery. And he went down to Egypt, became a slave in Potiphar's house. That's Joseph. That's Jacob's son. Jacob the supplanter. You don't get by with sin. Even sometimes when your life has changed. You cut your arm off, it doesn't grow back. You put all these tattoos all over your body, you can't take them off. It would take thousands and thousands of hurtful dollars to remove all that stuff. There's a law Now remember, the Esau people were the Edomites. Edom was a descendant of Esau. Esau never forgave his brother Jacob. 
Even though Jacob had to pay for his sins, even though Jacob had to deal with the boomerang of sin in his own life, Esau never, never got over it. And years and years later, way down the lineage line, the Edomites hated the Jews. Now, brethren, the same thing's going on in the Middle East right now. Abraham and Sarah had two sons. One was named Ishmael, the son of bondage. Hagar was the bondage woman, the slave woman. God never intended for Abraham to have a son by Hagar. Later, God kept his promise, and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac was the father of the Jews. Ishmael was the father of the Arabs. And you look down on that little land bridge between Egypt and Lebanon and those areas, you see a little tiny piece of property from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, and the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac are at war with each other. And the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, hate the Jews. And they'll never be content until there's no nation in Israel. And those people that think we can give land for peace, that we can per finally persuade the Jews to give out, give back the Golan Heights and Jerusalem and all those other lands that they fought and got. And we say, if you just give that land back, you'll have peace. That's not true. They didn't have peace to begin with. That's where the land came from. Immediately when Israel was declared a state, the Arab nations declared war on them. All of them. Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan, all of them. Because they did not forgive. Jesus said, when you pray, you ask God to forgive you just like you forgive others. I want to ask you, do you hold grudges in your heart? Do you have people in your heart that you don't like? They hurt you? There's nobody in this room who hasn't been hurt by somebody. Not one. Every one of us. And inadvertently, every one of us has hurt somebody else. Didn't mean to. Maybe we, didn't, maybe we meant to. Do we really forgive like we want to be forgiven? We come to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, I did this dastardly thing. It was so dumb, so idiotic. Why in the world did I ever do it? And you ask God to forgive you, and there suddenly comes a red light in your heart. You've got something against somebody else that you haven't forgiven. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive them, your heavenly Father's not going to forgive you. Now, I think what that means is that you cannot, you're not capable of re receiving your heavenly Father's forgiveness. Years ago, I was trying to lead a lady to the Lord that lived over on Magnolia Street. I visited her many, many times. And each time I'd talk with her about Jesus and we'd pray. And she'd pray and ask Jesus to come into her heart and then she would get through praying. She said, nothing happened, nothing happened. Now, I'm just like I was, I'm not saved. One day I went there and the Lord told me to ask her something. I don't usually do this, but I ask her, do you have anything against somebody? She looked at me and she said, what do you mean? I said, has any, somebody hurt you that you're not forgiving? Now, this is an unsaved person. 
I didn't know her well. I didn't want her to tell me all of her sordid stories, but God told me to ask her that. So I asked her, and she looked at me, and she said, yes, preacher, the lady across the street. We haven't spoken for five years. I hate her, and I'm not going to speak to her. I said, I want to ask you something. If you want to be forgiven by Jesus, and you want to be saved, I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back later today. And if you really want forgiveness from God, you go over there and ask that woman to forgive you and tell her you're a lover and you're going to forgive her. She looked at me and said, I don't think I can do that. I prayed with her and left. And I prayed a whole lot while I was gone. I can tell you that lady's name right now. I won't do it. I came back about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe 5. I walked up to the door and knocked on the door. And she came to the door and said, Preacher, you don't have to come in. I'm saved. She said, I did what you told me to do. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I went over there and asked that lady to forgive me. Really, she had hurt me, but I asked her to forgive me because I hated her. And you know what she did? She started hugging me and she started crying. And she said, honey, I've wanted you to forgive me for years. And they met out of there and just hugged each other and they forgave each other. And that lady got saved. She joined our church. I baptized her. Oh, listen. Unforgiveness is a terrible boomerang. It'll come back to you. And God said, Obadiah, you tell the Edomites that what they have done, let me read you that verse again. Listen to it. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return on thine own head. That's the law of judgment and judging, the law of forgiveness and being forgiven. Now look at Galatians 6, 7. Here's the law of sowing and reaping. In Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. I was talking to a skeptic one day about the Bible. They didn't believe the Bible. I said, well, there's truth in the Bible, and the reason it's in the Bible is because it's truth. I point out the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, have you ever known anybody didn't, that never sinned? He said, it depends on what you mean by sin. He's skeptic, agnostic. I said, well, let me ask you something. If you go out and sow corn, if I told you you're going to reap beans from that corn, what would you tell me? Well, I'd say, you're dumb, ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. So I turned to that passage in Galatians. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I said, is that true? He looked at it. He said, that's true. I said, you know why it's in the Bible? Because it's true. And there are thousands of other statements just like that that are true. Well, that man's middle wall of partition was broken down. Sometime later, he gave his heart to Christ. Oh, listen, whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. If you sow corruption, you'll reap corruption. If you sow gossip, you'll reach gossip. You'll reap gossip. If you sow mental laziness, you'll get to the point where you are mentally lazy and you won't be able to use your intellect. If you sow 
carnality, you'll reap carnality. You sow pornography looking at it on the internet or looking at these filthy trashy magazines, you sow it, you'll reap of it. It'll change your life. It'll do something inside of you. And you may pretend on the outside to be something, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Whatever man sows, he'll reap. Young people, you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corrupt flesh. You sow to free sex, you'll reap the results of free sex. No purity. You sow lies, you'll get to a point where you can't tell the truth. You won't know truth from error. I've met people that I think believe their own lies. They're so convinced they've told lies and told lies and told lies until they really believe they're telling the truth. Their mind has become reprobate. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow hypocrisy, you'll reap it. I can't stay there any longer. I don't have time. But I want to tell you, these are the laws that are suggested. But what Obadiah said, it's going to come back on your own head. It will be like a boomerang. Don't let it happen. And then there's the law of investments and dividends. Look in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Wonderful passage of Scripture. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, listen to this. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. A little earlier before training in you tonight, and we'll do it again next Sunday night at 5.30, we were showing the video of, of, of Dr. W.A. Crystal's funeral. Great man of God. And they told about the souls that he had won to Christ. Many of them, many of them, thousands. There were 5,000 people packed into various places there and more on the interstate. They had to block two interstates to take care of the funeral crowd. They came because W.A. Criswell was a soul winner. Not only in Dallas, but around the world. He won people to Jesus. He that winneth souls is wise. In the book of Thessalonians, look over in your Bible at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Ye are our glory and joy. You want friends? Win somebody to Christ. They'll be your friend. They, they might be, may not be close to you all your life, but they'll be your friend. Some of the dearest friends I have on this earth. And I've wondered, sometimes you wonder if you have a friend. You know, if you ever get like that, that's awful, isn't it? I learned a poem when I was in high school about being master of your own fate. And part of it says, I wonder if I have friends, though a friend I shall never see. Well, you may not see your friends that you've won to Christ, but they're your friends anyway. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody. I was in a, a meeting in a, somewhere, where was it? In New York. I can't think of why I was there, but in New York. And a man came up to me that I thought I'd never seen before in my life. 
I'm older and he was older. This was 10, 15 years ago. And he said, uh, aren't you Richard Oldham? I said, yes. He got tears in his eyes. He said, when I was 13 years old, you told me how to be saved. And God called me to preach. And I've been preaching for 25 years. I didn't even know he existed. That's a friend. Listen, you win people to Jesus, they'll be your friends. The law of investment. You pour your life into somebody's life and it will result in usefulness. I think of the contention between Paul and Barnabas. Those were two great giants in the book of Acts. Barnabas and Paul went out on a missionary journey and took John Mark. When they got to Pamphylia, John Mark either got homesick or jealous or something. We don't know what happened. He turned and went back home. He just quit. He quit. Ever know anybody that quit? When they got back to Antioch, a couple of years later, they decided to go on another missionary journey, and, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and Paul said, no, he's a quitter. I'm not going to take him. And he took Silas, and Barnabas took John Mark, and the Bible says they went down to Cyprus. That's the last time we read about Barnabas, great man of God. Much people were added to the Lord because of Barnabas. Paul had preached for 35 years. He's in prison in Rome. He's going to die in a little while. In the last epistle he wrote, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he wrote and said, Bring Mark. He is profitable to me for the ministry. Barnabas poured his life into John Mark. You know who Mark was? He's the one that wrote the second gospel. All because Barnabas poured his life into a quitter. You find somebody that needs spiritual friendship and help. Pour your life into them. We're talking about the law of investments and dividends. Those are dividends. One day in heaven you're going to meet them too. You just think if somebody come up to you in heaven and say, All hail, beloved, but for thee my soul to death had been a prey. Hadn't been for you, I wouldn't be here. You told me about Jesus. All this is bound up in what God was saying, Obadiah, you say this to Edom. It'll return on your own head. You do good, it'll come back. You do evil, it'll come back. He that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap. Carrion, corrupt flesh. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I think of the glorious second coming of Jesus. The rewards over in the glory. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may see the things done in his body according to that done, whether it be good or bad. Oh, listen. Don't let idle words mess your life up. I heard somebody say not long ago that some people's vocabulary is so filled with barnyard language and cursing and swearing and GD and D and H and all those things. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. They're innocent. I want to tell you they're not innocent. This book says every idle word will be brought into judgment. We have to be careful what we say. 
And even those that are not saved that talk like that, they're going to have to give an account for their idle words. And Christians, Christians, we live in a careless age when people use vulgarity just like it was purity. Their minds are so warped they don't know the difference. I want to tell you, get somebody around you that can remind you. Years ago we had a man get saved. We were having a new members class at that time and in the new members class the man said, I'm having an awful time with my vocabulary. He said, I, I, I cuss like a sailor and I shouldn't use that term. Some of you have been sailors. I, that's probably not a good way. He said, I just cuss and curse and swear and said, I'm ashamed of it. It's terrible. I don't know what to do to stop it. I said, you really want to stop? Yes, I want to stop. I said, I'll tell you how to stop. Okay, I'll do it. I said, you sure you'll do it? He said, well, I'll try. I said, all right, this week when you go out Monday, first time you curse, you ask God to bring it to your mind so you'll know it. You stop where you are, first ask God to forgive you, and then whoever heard you, ask them to forgive you and tell them that you're a Christian now and you shouldn't have done that. He said, I'm supposed to do that? Yeah. I said, if you'll do that, you won't be cursing very long. The next Sunday night he came back. I said, how'd it go? He said, well, I had a terrible time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday apologizing. He said, I was so embarrassed that after that, I didn't do it anymore. You want to quit? God will help you. But you're going to be judged for your idle words. And they'll boomerang. They'll come back at you. Heard somebody say one day, I don't think that fellow's a Christian. I knew he was a Christian. I said, why don't you think he's a Christian? He said, have you ever heard him talk? Well, he didn't talk that way around me. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he curses every other breath and he uses barnyard language and the S word and the F word and all those things. I said, are you telling the truth? I said, yes. I said, why don't you go up to him? If you've got the brass to do it, go up to him and say, fellow, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you talking like that? See what he says. If anybody comes up to you and says that to you and you have this problem, remember where you got it. It came back to me too. This fellow came a few days later and he said, I did that. And the guy was so embarrassed. He said, I haven't heard him say any of that stuff since. Then later, that man, he was a friend of mine. That man came to me and he said, you know what this guy did? He said, I, I didn't, I've never told you this, but he said, I had an awful trouble with my vocabulary and I talked like all this trash. He said, I never told you I had that problem. But he said, some guy came up to me the other day and said, I thought you were a Christian. Why'd you do that? And he said, it startled me. I was shocked. And he said, I got on my knees that night and asked God to forgive me. And I'm not going to do it anymore. He didn't know that I was the one who told him to do that. <laughs> I won't tell you. It'll come back to you. It'll haunt you. Those idle words. The law of investments and dividends. Now, I'm going to close now. The investment of prayer. You pray and God answers. Do you believe God answers prayer? If God doesn't answer prayer, why well, pray? I believe God answers prayer. And many of our prayers are answered and we don't even God give God the glory for it because we think, well, that would have happened anyway. No, no, it wouldn't. You pray for things and they'll happen. You ask God for safety. When you get back, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, I, got, I had safety. 
If you have a wreck, come back and say, now, Lord, I ask you for safety and I had a wreck. Somehow you're trying to teach me something through this because all things work together for good to those that love God. Don't blame God on it. See, the very fact that we're all here tonight is an answer to prayer. The very fact that we have not been more terrorized in America already is an answer to prayer. You know what? Many people have been praying, Lord, give the CIA and the FBI and all the people that are investigating this thing a witness and an authority so that they can track this down and stop this. I don't guess it's been stopped, but it's been hes- it's hesitated. We've had a little, a little break in it. I hope it'll keep on. I pray daily for it. But God answers prayer. There's no way to evaluate the answer to prayer. Have you had a prayer answered lately? I'm not asking you to stand and tell us about it, but think it in your mind. Is it possible you have not had a prayer answered recently because you haven't prayed specifically? You need to pray specifically. Special things. People. Ask God for definite things. I do not know where this came from the other day, and I I don't even like to talk about this, but I didn't have any money. And uh, I looked in my Bible, and I found $25. Somebody had stuck in there. I prayed, Lord, I need this funds. I need it. And I looked in my Bible, and there was $25 somebody put there. I didn't know who it was. Maybe somebody here did it. I don't know who did it. But God answered prayer. In little ways, in big ways, God answers prayer. This is part of the law of dividends, investments and dividends. And remember what the scripture says. I hope this book of Obadiah will mean a lot to you in the days ahead. Listen, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done it, it shall be done unto you. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Now, if you're not saved, you need Jesus. And when you put your trust in Jesus, he takes care of you. He'll be your guide. He'll be your, take care of you all the way through until you go beyond death. The other day, our dear friend, Miss, Miss Thompson died. You know, she invested 30 years in the, in the department of uh, over at Western and taking care of the books. Not a bookkeeper, but what do you call it? She was head of the Department of Accounting. That was it. And before that, she taught school. She was a member of our church since 1972. But in the last 11 years, she's fought leukemia. And those of you who visit her know that every time you saw her, she didn't complain about her leukemia. She just trusted it with the Lord. The last day I saw her was Thursday over at the Brownsville nursing home. Later that night, she got worse and they took her back to the hospital. She went on to heaven. The last day I saw her, she was in terrible agony and pain and we talked a little while and I gave her that scripture from Psalm 27 and she said, at the right time, the Lord will take me. The right time came that night. Is your trust in the Lord? Are you trusting Him day by day by day? 
Are there things in this scripture that we've talked about tonight that can help you? I pray they will. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will use what has been spoken of from this word to touch our lives and help us to go on with God to be what God wants us to be. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What are we singing? Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art crying, calling, do not pass me by. Page 500. 500. Listen to this. God is here tonight. He's walking through these aisles. He wants to have his way in your life. He knocks. But you have to open the door. He doesn't lasso you. He doesn't pull you down. He just says quietly, can you hear me? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. One of the blessings of going to church is getting yourself under the word of God and doing it on a regular basis so you can hear God's knock. What is God saying? We let him have his way. There may be somebody here tonight that God is calling to preach like he did Johnny. Brother Jonathan Randolph surrendered to preach this morning. There may be somebody here that God is dealing with about a certain matter and you don't have peace in your life and you need that peace that passes all understanding. Surrender to the Lord. Whatever is in your heart. If you're not saved, I ask you to come to Christ tonight. If you've been saved but have not been baptized, you need to come tonight and get that right. While we sing, will you come for Jesus?